Welcome to episode 15 of the End of Sport podcast. Today we are super humbled, grateful, and appreciative of Michael Bennett coming on the show. Michael is a three-time Pro Bowl defensive lineman in the NFL and a Super Bowl champion. Michael joins us today to talk about his book, Things That Make White People Uncomfortable with Dave Zirin. And we talk about the issues that certainly should be at the forefront of everyone's mind right now. The protests across the country against police violence, white supremacy, and systemic racism towards black and brown Americans. And the increasingly violent responses of the state towards peaceful protests. Welcome to the end of sport. Today we are super, super excited to be joined by Michael Bennett. Michael is a Super Bowl champion, a three-time Pro Bowl defensive lineman in the NFL, and self-professed feminist. Uh, He's also the author, along with Dave Zirin, of the wonderful book, Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. And he is also the co-host of uh, the podcast Mouthpiece with Michael and Pele Bennett, uh, which we will certainly link in the show notes. And I got to say, I love that show, man. It's funny. It's interesting. It's critical. uh, And it really illuminates your lives and your minds for the listener. So, Michael, first off, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate being here. Uh, Heavy timing. You talk about the book and just all this stuff is just, it's all in one. It's just crazy. It really is. And I like, this is a great place to start. Like I got to ask like right now between like the protests and this like heavy timing and the pandemic, like how are you doing in general? I think I'm doing fine. I think it's, I think what's happening into the world is the world has really finally focused on the racial disparity. And I think the COVID-19 situation really highlighted the inequalities of people of color and especially black people in America. So I think what's happening now is just a, a microcosm of all that is being, is being shown because I think too, the, a lot of people realize that it, that the racial disparity was also economic disparity too. And in economics, there was no color. It was white people being poor, black people, Mexican people, all types of people are starting to realize that the system the majority of people who have power have have really have really taken the justice away from those who are at the bottom, those who are the minorities, and African American people um, are really trying to. It's just, it's just, it's just when you really look at the COVID nineteen and the racial disparities that was happening in the moment, the people starving, people asking for food, is it's just, it's just showing you where America has turned into. I think we, when we look at this situation, we're we're looking at the lack of humanity and in the world right now. We as individuals and we as a group, I think we're seeing the lack of humanity. We're looking at an issue when we see a death and, and people become numb and we, we're arguing about the facts and not arguing about the humanity of the person who just lost their life is really what's pushed us to this moment where African-American people are screaming, are you worried about the facts? Why are you not worried about the facts that a man is dead and now doesn't have a family? It's just so many different things of the history of what was happening and the injustice of, of, of America. I think if you look into the history of America, African-American people are woven into the fabric of the society and making it and making this country what it is. But if you look at the injustice and and the, the oppression that's been happening to is it is 
we're looking at such an unjust, uh, biased America. And people talk about, oh, we pulled up by the bootstraps of, of America. We worked hard. But if you really look at it, African-American people have been working hard and doing what's in the laws of America. But everything that's in the laws of America and the privilege of being American hasn't always be hasn't been bestowed upon African-American people in American society. There is like so much that I want to get to in this um, in this episode um, because of like not only the time, but just in general, like your book, Things That Make White People Uncomfortable is, of course, a book about race and sport. It's sort of this unapologetic manifesto for the movement of athletes like yourself and Colin Kaepernick, who have used your platforms to protest the very structural racism that we are seeing manifest all around us in an epidemic of police violence against black, brown, and indigenous bodies. The book also makes certainly very clear that um, as far as football goes, like injury, exploitation, and traumatic violence are pervasive parts of, of elite football, whether at the college, the professional, or even the fantasy level. More than this, whether we wish to admit it or not, I think it demands all of us to confront the reality that we as like sports fans and most of the people watching this show are going to consider themselves fans of sport, share some responsibility for overcoming the systemic racism that pervades our social world. So I think that where we need to start, um, we need to start with the issue that certainly, uh, certainly should be at the front of everyone's minds right now. And you alluded to it earlier. Um, the protests across um, the country against police violence, white supremacy, and systemic racism towards black and brown Americans, and the increasing, increasingly violent response of the state and the white supremacist militias that is sort of endorsed. And it's endorsed these responses up to the highest level in the presidency, and it's done so largely against nonviolent protesters. I'm sitting here and I can't help but think of yesterday's photo op where Trump just couldn't be called a bunker boy in public. So he tasked his militia with clearing out peaceful protesters so he could awkwardly hold this like Bible in front of a church. And to me, it appears as though this is like indicative of a country that's in an incredibly precarious position um, with respect to rule of law and, and a rule of law that seems to be collapsing under the weight of systemic racism and white supremacy. I want to ask like what are all of what are your feelings in and about this moment unfolding all around us? And you've kind of already mentioned them, but but just in general, what are you thinking about when you turn on the news right now? I'm thinking about a president who has the duty and the obligation to understand the people that is being governed underneath uh this his his under his uh, regime, and I think he's done uh, absolute devastating, disgusting, morally, <laughs> morally and spiritually bankrupt system that he's just been perpetuating hate. And I think he's taken the opportunity to really divide America even more by not asking and being in the conversation of race. He's a white man, and as a white male, he is had so many privileges to be instead of moment of even becoming rich in the moment of even borrowing money and equity, even to becoming the president under his races and his, I don't know. <laughs> I think as you seeing that, that Obama's presidency was not the remedy to the racial um, 
progression of America. I actually think Obama becoming president almost made more people racist. And then it built, then Trump coming after it just capitalized on all the racism. And we're looking at a systemic issue of that black people in America don't have any value. We're looking at a system that is historically and is in this in in text that black people had to fight to be seen as a whole man, three fifths of a man, three fourths of a man, mm-hmm. with the fight for to be a full human being. And those and those 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 uh, shadows and spirits of that are still alive. People don't see African American as as uh, full human beings, and and the fight and the right to exist has been a constant struggle for people to really grasp the humanity or the inhumanity of seeing somebody die on camera by the hands of the police. The police are the people that's supposed to be protecting us, but for some reason we don't feel protected. We feel almost vilified in every single corner and every single word to be stopped by the police and and to feel that you're going to die. Is, is a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, but it is the true America and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And I think Trump is mirroring his image of America and his way he grew up in America and what was really his true dialogue behind the scenes. He doesn't care and he doesn't care. His whole ultimate goal is money. And he's proven that time after time and after time. And the COVID-19 situation was another factor in proving that economy comes first. When you talk about the death of Americans and you say, oh, one death, no, that's not it. You don't care. And one death doesn't strike you as a human being that somebody's losing their family member. You are a part of the problem. And I think it's so systemic and it's trickling down and it's becoming a flame that is, is, I don't know if this flame could be put out at this moment because Americans intellectually are waking up. I think a long time, the pineal gland of American society was being blocked. And I think the third eye has been awakened by each individual and they're realizing what's really happening on a daily basis. I think white America has had is is starting to wake up too. I think they're finally starting to hear the screams. Of of course there are a lot of people have had to die before they've actually heard the screams of, of, of this counter I mean his fellow Americans but at what point do they decide to stand up and they're standing up and they're trying to make stuff happen. But black people are just tired. Yeah, I, I want to ask about white allyship in 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 a couple minutes, uh, and but I'm I'm really curious to get your thoughts on the intersection of of COVID with police brutality, um, because you've mentioned it a couple times now um, how important like this moment right now, the fact that we're dealing with a pandemic and we're also dealing with yet another example of the police violence and the racist police violence that has been in existence for decades, centuries. Um, So I'm really curious to get your thoughts on how you think COVID has actually made this the moment um, for revolution or this the moment for revolt against a white supremacist system. I think we've seen in a system system where um, we we saw the health system, we saw the healthcare system and African-Americans community that were understaffed, underdeveloped, and they didn't have the the fair economic share of the wealth when it comes to the health and sustainability of their communities. And we're seeing that COVID also tore down the fact that most African-Americans, most rich people around the world were going to their second homes and their third homes. 
and most African Americans and Hispanic people were the most essential workers in the success of America's society. They were the people working at the grocery stores, they were doing this. It started to show the racial disparities upon America in such a way that it unveiled itself, not in a fleshly way, but in a spiritual way. The spirit of America has been broken so so long and it's, and COVID showed that. It showed that there were so many wounds that hadn't been healed in America. And the way that the brown and the way that the African-American community was being policed, if you saw it in New York, you saw areas like Brooklyn where people were getting beat and the police were at every corner making sure that they were following the curfew. But then you look at the white side of town, people are out having in the community. They're passing out masks so that the white people don't die. But in the black people community, it wasn't the same. And I think COVID showed that there wasn't, there is no just system when it comes to color. The system has been corrupted for many years and it continues to be corrupted at a high level. And that, and that high level starts at uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Street Avenue. You, you put that so um, eloquently. Um, and, and as I mentioned, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on white allyship. So we've seen this week, like attempts of white people on Instagram to do the whole sort of blackout Tuesday thing and to show their allyship in the online and physical spaces. And we're seeing this manifest in real life and also online. Um, but we also saw some of the big issues with this, many using the hashtag Black Lives Matter and actually disrupting the frontline organizers who are using the hashtag to organize protests. So I want to get your thoughts on um, what you've seen around you in terms of white people mobilizing around the Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, in your view, what would you like us, and uh, we are uh, obviously white hosts of a podcast, and uh, and to our white listeners, what would you um, um, sort of like us to say and to do in response to the protests and the incessant and long-standing history of white supremacy, harassment, violence, and murder of Black, Brown, and Indigenous folks? at the hands of police that we are implicated in ourselves. I actually think that the police is just is a one factor. I think there's an economic suppression of opportunity and, and that's been happening. I think that we look at the justice system as a whole, the police, few people, the amount of people that have been killed by the police, but also the amount of people who have been unfairly accused of a crime that's sitting in the system right now. We look at a system when we talk about marijuana use and we talk about marijuana, the white America has turned uh, uh, marijuana use into a booming economy in America, but there's a whole bunch of black and brown people who are suffering in jail for something that's legal now and they haven't been let out. The three strikes and all these different rules and this system to corrupt and constantly perpetuate hate and oppression of people of color is still here. And I think white people need to really understand that this is not about, this is just about George Floyd. You got to look at the history, historical context of what's happening. And I think anybody that looks at the public lynching of George Floyd, but also the public lynching of Emma Till, but the public lynching of all the historical people that have fought for justice who have lost their lives. We are over, we're not even over, we overlook Megar Evers so many days, but here is a man who was fighting over over equality and was killed in his door in his doorway. We're looking at a, yeah. a system that bombed a church and killed girls, little kids. That was a form of terrorism. People don't understand yeah. that there's always been the government, then there's always been people who don't do not see 
African-American people as uh, fair. And I think white people need to go back into their history books and actually do some studying so they can actually have the right information. Because asking a black person to tell you how not to be racist is almost is almost being racist. It's like it's hard for us to tell you not to be racist. Being racist has to be something that's inside your blood. But you also not to be racist. You also have to do the historical. To, you have to do the research yourself. We can't tell you, oh, what is this? No, you have to do the research and understand why Kaepernick was taking a knee, why Martin Luther King lost his life, why Michael X lost his life, why Angel Davis was in prison, why all these people were doing these things, why we didn't just talk about America. We talk about Stephen Biko, Nelson Mandela, Patricia Lumumba. We could keep going on, people who have been fighting for years. We also talk about our brothers in Brazil. We're talking about people all over the world who have color, who have been fighting the system that has oppressed them for far too long. So white people need to understand what is really happening. This isn't just a one-off. This is this is a this is anger and 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 spiritual and morally tiredness. You know, people are tired spiritually, people are tired when the people say ask God, people are tired of saying waiting, people are tired of waiting for a Messiah to come and show them the right way. People are ready to act. And these young people, white people, they're ready, they're mobilizing. So I would just tell white people that they need to do their homework and do their research and really go into this thing. Because at the end of the day, for white people it's really about intent. If your intent is to show that you're not a racist, that's the wrong way about trying to have social equality. So your intent need to be about humanity. Your intent should be that another human lost his life. And so because another human lost his life, that pains me. I don't want to, don't be in it for your own way. And I think a lot of companies are doing that right now because this these companies yeah. had ample time to be speaking up about racism and systemic racism. You have the NFL. Okay, I'm going to stop right there because you're going to, maybe you're asking a question about the NFL, but because that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother monster. I don't want you to stop. I, I want you to continue because I like, I think what you're saying right now is like so powerful as a teacher and as an educator and as someone who prides myself on like knowing or, or seeking out answers to questions you you are like speaking my language so i'm just going to let you continue yeah i think i think too man i think when you look at when we look at this we're looking at this cuz you know i teach at the university of hawaii and my class is about american history and and politics and sports and and we and a lot of times when i start going into the the deep rooted uh, hatred and the trees that have been planted over a long period of time it kind of goes over our, my students head sometimes because they don't understand like Newton, we're talking about sports and we're talking about the historical reason why sports and plantations used to bet on human bodies. And these were Negroes that they lent to other plantations to do their bidding and race on their and, and then built this system between black people to create constantly create a division. And we look at the NFL who have had so many. I mean, I had to, I had to, one time we were, I was with Bill Belichick and, and the Patriots and we went to the, to the, um, we went to the uh, the what's they call the Hall of Fame place, and there was this guy talking. He was like, "Oh, if the if the if the league if the world could be like the NFL, it would be a just place." And I said, "Are you being serious? The NFL has been one of the, the least brightest spots in American history when we talk about inclusion. We're still dealing with yeah. a system, and where we have." One GM and three black head coaches, and the rest of the league is 80% coming yeah. to the NFL. We have the Redskins who are saying that they don't believe in racial, they don't believe in racial uh, injustice when they have a, a racial slur as their name. So the NFL has, has and these league has had ample time to 
use their voices to really change the system of racism, but they are only waiting for the perfect time and the perfect fire. See, the problem with what's happening with America is that we are such a uh, reactive country. We're such a reactive mm-hmm. society that when we start to react, it's too late. It's like we have to be in the front of, of all this. We have to stop the war. We have to have peace before the war. We want to have the war and then have peace. And then everybody's saying, oh, why, why has this happened? It's because we have had ample time to have, have had our peace talks and have a way to do this. But you companies who have, have perpetuated a systemic issue that has been going on and on and on for years, you don't realize that everything luxury that you have has created suffering for somebody else. And I think when we really look into the deep, the deep, deep rooted issue in the NFL, we're looking at a system that is still a part of that Jim Crow system. We're still looking at a system, the good old boy system that is a part of it. And we've seen the NFL teams say, oh yeah, we're a part of this, but then you still blackball Kaepernick. You have G, you have owners who don't want players who are socially active because why they don't want players that are socially active because what happens when an athlete starts to speak yeah. what happens the world starts to change in 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 the in the sports world people start to quit what happened when lebron james started talking people started paying attention to a lot more than they used to pay play attention because now they're looking at lebron james as a man and an intellectual not just as somebody who dunks the basketball and I think when we look at that, you look at there's some people who believe in, you know, I compete and I'm only here for competing and I only want to play sport. But you can't play the sport. You have to play the game of life. And the game of life requires us to make stance on issues that are really hurting our society. So a lot of quarterbacks in the league, I feel like, and a lot of players in the NFL, I feel like aren't the man that they're supposed to be because they're scared. They're a bunch of Manchurian candidates who only speak about things when they're paid to speak about them or they push to really uh, about the teams to really have a voice. And the NFL is no different. The NFL has taken opportunity to say that they have good intent, but we can't trust their intent because the history of who they are and what they've shown us that they truly are, that they are a business that is spiritually bankrupt. You, like this is, is so powerful. And like you mentioned that like, athletes and like people will only speak out when it's kind of in their best interest and we see like obviously companies um are like seemingly super loud when it comes to 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 support for black lives matter right now and to to the movement generally speaking um companies are loud but as you point out like coaches owners and individual players are like super silent and and this goes all the way from the nfl in my view all the way from the nfl down to like college athletics as well which i think like a number of amazing scholars who are way smarter than me have already highlighted how the ncaa is this sort of plantation mentality system and only reifies like white supremacy and 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 structural racism but yet those people who are at the forefront of racial inequalities in the sporting world seem to be massively silent, massively oh. silent on this. And you point out like the Redskins as well to, to, uh, in the NFL. They even had like a Blackout Tuesday post. And I'm like sitting here being like, your name is a racial slur. So like <laughs> that, ju- that juxtaposes this like disconnect between like when there's money to be made you'll support the social movement but when there's when your shit is like on the fire when you're like when you're about to be burned you're going to be silent like i don't even know if i have a question there i'm just curious to get your thoughts on the silence it's just like drew Brees. like drew Brees. okay drew Brees. 
Jubilees. Let's have a moment of silence for Jubilees' consciousness right now. <laughs> his moral, his moral compass has just been completely misled and misguided. I think when you look at people like Drew Brees and all the white players in NFL, and you look at these people, they are also people who, to me, have capitalized off African-American stature. Drew Brees, if he didn't have any African-American receivers to throw to, who's to say that he would have the impact in his career that he's had? You know what I'm saying? And for him to have the opportunity to speak up on this, but then you want to bring up other issues instead of saying what's right because you're scared, because you're literally scared, you have $250 million. What are are you scared of? What can you possibly be scared of at this moment? You have the voice to ignite a fire. You speak of Jesus Christ. And this is the thing that makes me so angry when all these white people and these coaches speak of Jesus Christ. They don't understand Jesus Christ. Not one bit. Jesus Christ was crucified by the Roman government because he was standing up for the poor people in the world. Now that is what he was doing. He was sacrificed. Whether you believe that he was the Messiah or what it was, this is a true actual event that happened. A man was crucified because of his political beliefs. His letter, his prayer, in the, the prayer that we say, our Father be thy name, our, all those, the Lord's prayer, that prayer is a prayer. Of, that prayer is a prayer of revolution. That prayer is a prayer of revolution to people not having the opportunity to have their daily bread to poor people. We're dealing with a system like that. And the constantly people are using Jesus' name in vain and not understanding the structural and what he was really about. You talk about love. You talk about all these things. But with love and all this stuff, he was still changing the system and flipping the way that life was supposed to be seen. And now you have these people who these teams and who are trying to use the intent and to make sure that people know that they're not racist. We know that you're racist. Don't know how many times you post this thing. Your system has shown that you're racist and you have a lot of work to do. One post won't allow you to be won't allow you not to be judged anymore. So I think when you look at these teams and you look at the intent of what they're really trying to do, we don't know what their intent is. They say that they're about racial equality. But why now? Why now? Why now? It's because it's on. It's it's forced. It's forced. It's not anything that they truly want to do. It's forced by Instagram. It's forced by Facebook. Because if they aren't saying what they are, who they are, and what they are, people are going to assume that they're racist. And what's the worst thing about being assumed a racist? You're going to lose your black audience. You're going to lose audiences who don't want to support your business. So that's what we're really dealing with. These owners are making statements. Why make a statement? Have a, have a press conference. Want the whole NFL, all the head coaches and all that. They had conferences about the, the rule of uh, what a pass interference is. You know, they have meetings about that. But what about what does one of their players mean? What does an African-American player mean to their team? What does an African-American mean to this society? Not one of them has stood up and said what they believe in, in a true fact, not something that's wrote by one of their PR teams, but something that's really coming from their heart, what they truly see when they see a death of another human being. They can't say that because they've been so numb to this, that anything else that comes out of them is, uh, is wrong. I think the NFL in particular is like massively problematic in this respect. Um, because like you mentioned it earlier, like there are like what one, one African-American general manager and three African-American black coaches, black coaches are more likely to lose their job quicker than white coaches. There are very few throughout the entire coaching ranks and the managerial ranks in the NFL. There are very few um, African-American or any racialized um, group as part of that population. And yet, and like, 
none of these people will ever speak up on anything until the moment where it seems like they need to. And as you point out, like, because they don't want to lose their audience, which they know is like a large proportion are African-Americans as well, or racialized um, people as, as well. And I, like, to me, I think the NFL is so morally corrupt at the end of the day, there's no way to, to put it. And like, this goes from the the top to the bottom of all managers, like uh, athletes, the completely separate conversation. And I think I kind of want to go there uh, and, and get your opinion on like what the role of the athlete is in terms of pushing back on something uh, on managers and um, people in the NFL who are actually tasked at furthering exploitation, but also like providing these people with like, their paycheck and their means of sustenance. Like how do you view the athlete or, and the athlete's role in this context? Uh, I think the athletes is the role of the context of making uh, and specifically having a voice and really understanding. And, and I think there's been a system in place for a long period of time for, you look at the collegiate level, we talk about collegiate sports. The system is, you know, these coaches put on these chains, they do these little things, and it's almost a slap in the face when they have these turnover chains and these gold teeth and they're trying to, you know, say that we're hip and we're doing this, but really they're playing into stereotypes. They want to limit those stereotypes or perpetuate those stereotypes to be beneficial for the success of their program. And I think there's a lot of teams and a lot of coaches who want to personify father figures for black African-American men, but don't even know how to communicate with them. And as soon as the African-American person has an issue that's dealing with race or potentially something that's deeming their light on their moral compass, that the the organization, they don't know how to communicate with them. And the whole point is that they were never intended to be a man. All these coaches in college stand in front of their parents, these parents and go and tell their parents, I'm going to make your son a man. I'm going to make him all this, all these different things. But the wrong, the, the, the road to becoming a man, there isn't just about sports. It's also questions about what am I supposed to be doing? What is my, what is my, what is my role in life? You know, and if these people can't do that, they need to be say, hey, I'm here to I'm here to give you a chance, a chance. I'm give you I'm here to give your son a chance to go to NFL. If it doesn't happen, that's mm-hmm. fine. That, that's what you need to say. Don't say I'm here to make him a man. And I think the system in college is what really silences people's voices when the NFL, because they've been in a system that has suppressed it, suppressed everything about them. When you talk about the way they dress, the way that they talk, there's somebody trying to fix every single avenue of making a new person as that is can specifically fit into their box of, of being accepted by their white counterparts in the league and their agents and their GMs and their coaches so they can say that I vouch for him. He's like us. No, he is he is him. You know what I'm saying? So the suppressiveness and the oppression really starts in the collegiate level. And that's why when you get to NFL, a lot of guys don't even know how to articulate their their thought process because they've never had the opportunity. The first thing somebody asked him was, what's, what, do you, what do you do in cover two? I do in cover two. I press two. I don't do this. They say, what does it mean to be a black man? I, I, they never had time to harness that. They never had time to floors that they never had time to water that plant of their human the human side so when by the time they get to the nfl that human side has been dried out that plant there no longer bears fruit they're sitting there looking at somebody that they don't even know they in a the moment that they've become in part of a role and i'm saying that anybody that's listening to this 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 word this 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 podcast please don't become a part of the role 
please continue to be individual because at this time, when you start talking about building a brand, when you talk about building a brand, brand literally, when you talk about building a brand, you literally saying, I want to build something that people think that I am. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm just going to build myself up. And the building a yeah. brand part has really limited so many African-American athletes to voices because brands are controlling their voice. And once you do that, you're pretty much, you're pretty much doomed from that point on. I, I think you like, I'm going to give another shout out to Mouthpiece because you and um, your brother and your partners on in the, the podcast, uh, A World Without Sport on that episode, you really highlighted that like, you're more than the brand, like, and you really like powered home how important it is to like, just be you and be whatever it is and everything that it encompasses um, and be vocal and be out there. Um, so I, I want to highlight that, like go check out episode 13 of Mouthpiece because I think it's like a, a, an awesome um, way for, for listeners to get more of what you're saying there um, and, and others as well um, around you. And I, I, you raise a theme there like indirectly about athletic labor. And this is a theme that we've, continuously gone to in this podcast like we always like return to the relationship between um, athletes and athletic labor and particularly to fans Um, and specifically the fact that the pleasure and meaning that fans derive from sport requires at the very foundation the sacrifice of the athlete and in um, things that make white people uncomfortable you powerfully wrote that, and I'm quoting here, I was half God, half property. But whichever half fans were dealing with, I was never fully human. And then later you wrote, you wrote of the fear that all the love I get from fans is more like the love they give a stake. I'm loved until I'm eaten and abandoned um, when all that's left is bone. The hardest part as a player is knowing that people love you conditionally, out of sight, out of mind. Can you speak a little bit about the relationship with fans and perhaps what fans don't fully see or understand about the experiences of athletes they cheer for and demand so much of and you've powerfully spoke about thus far? I think fans don't care. I think at the end of the day, fans are fans of the athlete as the player that's in their helmet, but they're not fans of their humanity. They're not fans of what what the experience that a person is experiencing, they're fans of the the fantasy league. Oh, can my player make it into the game? How can I benefit from his success? So it's still they're they're part of the problem because at the end of the day, they're still trying to benefit off of them. So that becomes perpetuates another system yeah. that they don't even realize that they're participating in. They're participating in the form of this, and they don't understand that when they have a voice and they're not able to speak up on the people that bring them value and bring them a certain amount of sacrifice. I mean, certain people who are sacrificing themselves to do, to give them the pleasure, they don't connect the humanity to that. So we're dealing with, like I said, we're dealing with something that be with fans. That's not even, it's, it's, it's not even to deal, is we're dealing with something that's morally wrong. We're dealing with people, we're dealing with fans that don't understand the problematic issue with not standing up with the player. Because at the end of the day, yeah. when you don't have when you don't stand up for the player, you limit it and you are perpetuating the cycle of the voiceless. You perpetuate in the cycle of the suppression. You perpetuate in the cycle of hatred. You perpetuate in the cycle of 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 
of everything because it's a constant, it's a constant, it's the constant tug and pull because when a player stands up, the, the fans tear him down. Why don't the fans get behind him? But a fan, when a guy puts a new Nike out, everybody has something to say about it. And you can look at the Instagram posters if you want. We could judge it by Instagram. We could see how fans truly feel. If a, if a player posts something about the team or posts something about him getting new shoes or him making a big play, the likes and the, the comments are going to be high. But if you post something about a person having something in, unjust happen to them, they're not going to be any likes. Nobody's going to pay attention to any of those pictures. But they might do it now because they don't want to be seen as a racist. But before, they, that didn't happen very often. So I think the fan has a key role into understanding, to holding, holding the NFL and holding these companies to the moral and spiritual laws of humanity. Now, if people or the fans can't hold themselves morally and spiritually and govern themselves like that and don't hold the system the same way, of course the system is going to be spiritually bankrupt because the people who support it and put money into it don't put any spirit into it. So it's hard for me to say that, you know, every all the fans are are like that, but the majority of the fans are like that. They don't really connect the humanity to the athlete. Many of these same fans who like like want or or view athletic laborers as sort of their their pro- and they want to see them do well and everything the moment that they bring in a politics of sport or the moment that they bring in a political stance on anything that is when these same fans absolutely turn on those athletes they absolutely go like politics don't belong in sport all those all those rhetorics right like all the rhetoric of like leave the politics out of the sport, just go on the field. And I don't think they fully realize that they are actually reinforcing structural racism, white supremacy on the on the social level by doing that. So what would be like your message to those fans? I think you've already like spoken a little bit about that, but what would you say to these fans? I would just say, man, like I said, I think it's really about uh, people really connecting. I think it's I think it's time for people to do a historical research about the issues yeah. and and what's really happening because I could tell them so much, but if they don't really look at the really lynch laws, if they don't look at you yeah. know if they don't really look at Angela Davis freedom is a constant struggle, if they don't understand about the Black Panthers, yeah. if they don't understand about the indigenous people who have been um genocide in American history and the America that they know used to be somebody else's, you know, so it's it is hard for us to really explain to them. I think it's important that everybody listens to this podcast. Maybe you can attach some books to this episode and people can go and listen and look and read because really it's coming down to the knowledge. I think the fans lack the knowledge to really understand because they haven't put themselves in the shoes and they've been so privileged not to understand the story of others because their story has been a way that has been pretty much paved the way that isn't the same. They had to deal with the structural racism and the system of being over-policed. I, I think your your call on us is like something that we are certainly doing. There there will in the show notes there will be a variety of links to um to both historical texts and also like texts related to sports specifically uh, and and ways in which we can learn because I agree completely and you raise a very powerful point about the almost like absence of indigenous culture from sporting memory. We don't even like think about 
um, indigeneity and decolonization and a variety of issues that exist. Like we don't even think about that as our history, but it's actually part and parcel of our history on, on Turtle Island or North America um, as we know it today. Um, so I, like your your call on us to, to post materials is absolutely something that we we will be doing um, in the show notes. So if you're listening, take a look at the, at the show notes. Um, you mentioned... Um, I think you alluded to fantasy football or like the fantasy um, realm as this sort of dehumanizing process. And I like, I've been a staunch critic of fantasy football for years now. I used to engage with it a lot. Um, and I used to like not think about the structural um, issues that I was like actually contributing to by being a participant in that. But in your book, um, you wrote, and again, I'm quoting, sorry to quote so much, um, fantasy football isn't just a game that fans play on a computer. It's what they're watching on the field. The fantasy that we are disposable names and statistics. They see a, a player as a part, an extension of equipment, a collection of statistics, and the numbers, not the human beings, tell the story. They don't see that a player has a wife or kids or real families that are affected in the process. They don't see the pain. Can you speak a little bit more to how players like you and others, and maybe some of your colleagues, experience being reduced to numbers, dehumanized, if you will, by fantasy football? Like, what does that sort of feel like? I think I think a lot of times people can't connect to what it feels like to be devalued because as a white person, you've always had value. Santa Claus is white. And Jesus is white. <laughs> George yeah. Washington is yeah. white. We go on and on. Uh, Steven Spielberg white. Han Solo was white. Uh, Luke Skywalker was white. Uh, yeah. We keep going on. I mean, just I mean, every um, Crocodile Dundee was white. Um, the, Goonies, <laughs> the Goonies was white. Um, yeah. <laughs> you keep going. Uh, so it's like it's like so they've been in their system. Superman was white, Batman was white, Wonder yeah. Woman was white, uh, Flash was white. So it's like they're dealing with a system that they never understood what it's like to be underrepresented or even to be underprivileged. So they don't understand they've had the privilege to have that. So they don't know what it seems like to be devalued because everything about white whiteness is valued. That is, that's what people don't really understand. Being white is a value system. And it's looking and it's proven. If you look at the stories of, um, if you look at uh, gentrification, being white brings value to the neighborhood. Being black devalues the neighborhood. Redlining, yeah. um, um, sundown towns, all the different issues that have been happening in America. So, I don't think they really understand it. I think if we've been devalued for so long that at this point in life, I've witnessed so many systems. And when you talk about injury and you talk about Kaepernick and you talk about taking a knee and having to explain to a GM or a coach why you take a knee and why there's value in taking a knee, um, it, it is the perpetual cycle that fans and white people just don't understand to be devalued. When you're done, you dispose, your contract is gone. You no longer exist to that world anymore. You don't have any value. When you die, people only thing people recognize is your stats. They never say you were a great man, you had great children, you did this. They say he had 2,000 rushing yards. That's the most disgusting thing somebody could say about you. Is the only talk about the stats that you had in the season. So the value of human beings, the value of African American players, has been long. You look at college. You look at the idea that you that your likeness is on, in um, is in um, in perpetuity. Like that's that's sick. You know what I'm saying? And we're looking at all these different issues, and, and it's a big deal. 
And, and to borrow to borrow from sociologist Stanley Eitzen, who's written powerfully on on the NCAA, but also at fantasy football. Well, he hasn't written on fantasy football, but it can be applied to fantasy football. This all seems to be incredibly aligned with what he would call sort of this plantation mentality, where like mostly white there there is mostly white quote unquote ownership of mostly black bodies in the form of like you are managing a team and you're own you're owning that body or or those statistics associated with a body in the form of fantasy football so in even in the virtual world there are manifestations of the relationship that is sort of real tangible and i would think harmful um or has harmful effects and i'm thinking here of the abuse and the harassment that we've all heard athletes endure from fans interested in fantasy football and their own fantasy football success. So my questions here, I have two of them that I'll just like drop there and you can answer them, pick them up as you, as you like. Would you say that there is a racial dimension to the dehumanizing elements of the relationship between fans and players in fantasy sport? And given that so many fans are white and players are so disproportionately black or racialized, and given the dynamics we've already discussed at length, is there a way in which fantasy football reproduces the racist, white supremacist plantation logic upon which the United States is founded? Yeah, I think it does all the way. The fact that you own another human being in a way that you that the human being is bringing a value for you. That's why I say really every time. Yeah, it's really fucked up when you think about it. That's why I say that the fact that the system, we're not understanding that for every luxury that we have, there's somebody who sacrifices, right? And 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 um and 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 with that, I think the fact that you own a person and that person doesn't have value to you more, you devalue them like they don't have value. And it's just like, how can I explain to you that that is a part of the racist system? The fact that you say it's just business is not just business. It's the fact that you're saying that you own another player, you own another human being. So it just perpetuates a lot of hate. So yeah, and have you ever have you experienced like um, people like? adding you on Twitter or DMing you about like not producing up to their standards? I don't really go on Twitter and I don't really check stuff like that. So I don't really know that much. <laughs> like every, like, so, so I don't really know, but I'm pretty sure people hate me. I mean, people hate me because they people, a lot of people, white people hate me in the NFL or just fans in general, because they think I'm just somebody who, uh, they think that I'm just somebody who is trying to bring up race. And and they want to they want me to deny that there's racial inequality in America and and as a man I just can't do that I just can't sit yeah. here and say that there's not racial there's some things I love about America there's some people and people that I love about America and they're so they're great and the idea of what America's supposed to be is a, a great ideology but the fact is that the people who are governing that idea have been spiritually bankrupt and they don't they don't represent what it really means from the beginning, the idea of we hold these things to be true. We hold that every man is seen free, every this and that. We have the opportunity. The idea that the American Revolution was based on a monarchy fighting the monarchy to have freedom. And people don't understand why people in America still are fighting for freedom. It's like this idea that we'd be, we're being cute, we're being slaved, we're being all these different things. And I don't know. It's just hard for me to explain to these people the history of it. And that's why I think it's important that people really look into the history of, of all yeah. this. 
I agree. And I think like knowledge is the first and understanding of like our history of settler colonialism and our, our history of systemic racism and white supremacy. We can't ignore that our entire countries have been built on this history. Um, and I, I think the first key or one of the first keys, and, and this you have so eloquently put like, just like, look, read, do some, get your own knowledge and you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll see that this is like the history that um, has built our current system and in, in some ways has been largely ignored and is potentially a cause of exactly the, the situation that we find our countries um, in. But I, I want to ask you briefly about injury because like, I think like we wouldn't be doing our audience justice if we didn't talk to you about injury at least a little bit and about the dehumanizing aspects of of injury on this show we like have a deep concern for the harm that football players like you and your colleagues are subjected to and continuously subjected to we essentially view it and to be completely honest as completely reprehensible um so you have written like incredibly movingly about how central pain is to the life of the football player and how that pain becomes central to a player's identity could you speak briefly about how it feels to participate in such dangerous work and perhaps some of the things that most fans don't really understand about the day-to-day -day life and experience of a professional football player it's because people money people equate money to saying okay if you get money then if you have money then that's that's the that's the trade off for for the pain that you you're doing right and so that's the the deal with the devil that most fans see that the athlete is making with right but but that goes to show the lack of humanity of the value because they're putting money and that's the biggest problem with America right now and that's the biggest part of our society right because we're dealing, we're dealing with a society that the, the value of the systems have changed over a while. At one time, um, land was the most important value. The, the church used to be the most valuable thing in the history. So the church ruled the whole world. And the people who had land, they ruled their country and they governed. But then the, the, economic, the economic system that we live in now, the capitalistic society, it doesn't matter if you have land now because people will just take all your goods and use them for their own purpose. And yep. we're dealing with an economic system and the capitalistic mindset that money is the most important thing in all of humanity. We're dealing with that. So when we look at that, that shows that when we do that, we show that the lack of that people don't have value. So we yeah. aren't connecting them to with humanity. We're connecting them to what we see as value. What we see as value is money. That money values, so his life doesn't matter. But when we connect with humanity, we connect with his family, we connect with his mother, we connect with the people who are dependent on him that need his brain, that need his body, a child that needs a father, a brother that needs a sister. It keeps going on. And so the yeah. fact that we can't really argue humanity Humanity has to be a part of our growth and development from the beginning. The fact that we are here animals, and, and as he says in The Moral Man, we're dealing with the brutal and moral at all points of our day. So it's really hard to explain um, how deep and rooted um, the lack of humanity has consistently been plagued. It's like when you talk about a pandemic, we're talking about a war on people. We're talking about a war and the disease that's facing people, but the racism is a pandemic too. It possesses our mind, it possesses our spirit. It becomes like a disease that is 
woven into our spirit and it's making it becoming a sickness and that sickness is starting to that sickness is contagious it's a contagious sickness and that sickness starts to yeah. keep going and going and going and so when you don't have humanity you 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 take drink you, you drink of that cup you drink of that sickness yeah. like sharing that disease and so we are continuously passing this disease verbally morally spiritually and by touch by sight, by hearing. So we're dealing with that. And if you can't understand what injury means to a human being, it's like the people who say they care about animals, but when a horse can't run anymore, he get euthanized. Where's the humanity yeah. in that? Where's the humanity in that? Where is the humanity? Where's Where's the fight for that? The value. I told my wife one day that the animal is going to have a rebellion on us and the chick is going to be coming back on everybody. Like So it's like there's, there's a lack of humanity between humans that if you can't connect the pain of another person to the, your pain and, and a part and a, a, if you can't be in touch with their pain and their sympathy and their empathy of what's happening to them, then you're a part of the suffering. You're actually creating the suffering. If we if we listen to this podcast and me and you have to tell them about humanity, they're part of the suffering. They can make they're making the suffering. So for us not to play that part, we have to connect to humanity at all times. The true fact is that morally, every single day, there's something in us that we are, are we have to battle. And that's we have to battle that because if we fall, if we fall victim to not connected to our humanity, what makes us different? nothing see we're dealing with something I, I know i'm going on and no this is like please do and we're dealing with something in the bible and i think it's in corinthians and jesus is talking he's talking about the burden of free will see there's a burden with free will because free will every other animal and the creature on the planet doesn't particularly have free will they have a purpose and they fulfill that purpose they fulfill that purpose a lion sees a gazelle it attacks it because it's supposed to do it they do all these things because it's programmed to them to do these different things they sit in the tree they have no they have they have no reason to inspire to be more but human beings we 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 burden with the will of free will right because we have choices yeah. too many of us are choosing wrong right because it's the choice now, the fact is that we look in the mirror and we have this underlying issue that we're dealing with the constant pressure of society and the constant pressure of the devaluation of other human beings around us. And you have to ask yourself, where do you stand on that moral line? Are you the person that's constantly fighting for your humanity? Are you constantly chipping away at your humanity? And eventually you turn into Donald Trump. And that's the end of my conversation. <laughs> I think like there's no better way to end this podcast than, than to say like, where do you stand on that moral line? And you've put that so, um, so powerfully. Um, I, I, how about we end this conversation with, if you wanted our listeners to take one thing from you, this conversation and front or just like, if you want our listeners to take one thing moving forward to dismantle our histories of colonialism, our histories of racial um, inequalities and um, systemic racism and our histories of police violence and the entire white supremacy um, or white supremacist notions that our, our society has built. If you want our listeners to take one thing, what would you say to them? 
I would say that I would take this, and this is what I'm saying right here. I think that they should take the every luxury that's been a part of suffering. So when we look back, you hear people, Drew Brees, say, well, my grandfather and I don't want to stand from that. Then you you dis, you disassociating yourself with the suffering that's been created by this system. I think that everybody yeah. needs to be connected to the humanity and understand the suffering of others to really, you know, really move forward. I think, you know, if we look at the intersectionality of the connection of people around the world and what they're feeling, I feel that this Black Lives Matter and I feel that this Floyd case and everything that's happening is a wake-up call for all humanity that this is not just an issue of black and brown people this is the issue of poor people around the world who don't have a mm -hmm. voice and if you can't understand the suffering of them then shame on you and that's what i want you yeah. to understand i want them to really look at the suffering of others and really try to connect to that suffering and put yourself in the shoes if you had a son and you watched him lose his life on video how would that make you feel drew Brees? I'm sorry, I had to say Drew Brees. Drew Brees made me kind of angry when I look at him and I hear him saying all this stuff. Not that I'm not in the anger that I hate hate him. I'm just I'm just angry that he he's his 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 voice is being um is being misguided, is being misled because he think it's a war on something else. He think it's a war mm -hmm. on the American tradition and American values. It's a war on the people who are controlling those American issues and those more American values. It is a moral war, Drew Brees, and where are you going to stand on that line? So I would just say everybody connect to the suffering and ask yourself, where are you on these moral lines? I thank you so much for sharing this all with us. And, and like, thank you for um, just like bringing your voice this, because I think there is like, massive power in whatever voice we do have, um, whether you're Drew Brees or a, a podcast um, by a couple academics interested in taking down capitalist notions of sport and injustice in sport. I think we all have something to offer um, the world as we be better and moral people. So thank you, Michael Bennett, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the End of Sport podcast. If you enjoy the show, please feel to like, share, and leave a review. And as always, you can reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at End of Sport Pod.